Hi there, my name is Peter Bell, and today I'm talking with Claudius Member, uh, the CTO at New. Claudius, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Hey, Peter. Always good to be here. Always good to chat with you. Looking forward to it. Likewise. So I'd love if you could just give people a little bit of uh, background in terms of what New is and, and what you do over there. Yeah. So I am the CTO at New. Uh, New is a managed marketplace supplying on-demand cleaning. Um, our beachhead is in vacation rentals, so we supply it on-demand cleaning for uh, Airbnbs, VRBOs, uh, the like. But uh, we have a grander vision to expand to uh, commercial and eventually residential. Uh, again, we think as easy as it is to book an Uber to a place, you should go book a clean for your space. Makes perfect sense. So I know that long before the pandemic, you had uh, a distributed engineering team. Do you want to just provide a little bit of backstory as to uh, why and, and how that came together? Yeah, so... Um, for full disclosure and backstory, I am Cameroonian. Uh, one of my co-founders was Nigerian. And so early on, we were really thinking about, uh, as we were building this team, what to do um, in terms of where do we want to build our engineering. And uh, um, the Africa came up and we really wanted to um, selfishly uh, reinvest and provide um, some of this, provide, provide some of the value and, and opportunity that we found in, in building this company new in the U.S. to Africa. Uh, and so... We set out to build an engineering team that was uh, remote first. And um, there were obviously some also business cases there in, in terms of the cost effectiveness of that decision. That was also a huge factor, um, but largely wanting to really make sure that we invested back in uh, our homelands and uh, also, again, make a strong uh, cost effective decision in terms of how and where we hire engineers. That makes a lot of sense. So I wanted, before we get into the, the meat of this, I want to dig into that because we found huge cost inflation. Unfortunately, it used to be great. There was like a small number of teams like us that were remote first. And so we had a team in Ukraine and we had like a mid-level rails engineer making like 26,000 US a year. And it was awesome. And about six months ago, he got an offer for over 50,000 bucks. And we had to we had to basically double his salary just because now other people are like, oh, we don't need everybody to be in the office so they can be anywhere in the world. Have you seen any of that with, with Nigeria? Uh, not yet, but definitely have been seeing that. And, and it was something that we, um, I, I kind of anticipated understanding that uh, I think we were, what we like to say, we were early on in, 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 in this uh, engineering hack, more or less, in, in finding good cost-effective engineers outside of the U.S. Uh, when it was, again, um, in terms of the prices, rather, again, cost-effective. But as we've seen the pandemic disperse engineers all across the world and people realizing, hey, I don't really need to hire in the same location. I can hire elsewhere. Um, we're seeing prices being uh, risen up. People are, There's kind of bidding wars for engineers outside of the U.S. now. And thus, we're seeing that. Um, thankfully, again, hasn't happened yet in Nigeria to in terms of our experiences, but uh, it's definitely coming. We can definitely, uh, I, I believe it's going to be happening in the not too distant future for sure. Yeah. Well, well, I hate to tell you we're going to become part of the problem because we've actually looked, we were looking to hire a front end React developer and it was just outside of our budget as, a, as an incredibly small business. Yeah. Uh, in, even in Ukraine, it was like what had been like, sure, you can find them for 60,000 a year becomes, well, maybe it's 70 or 80, or maybe it's going to be $85,000 a year. So yeah. we're actually now looking at North Africa, we're looking at Nigeria, we're looking at countries like that because we're hoping that the costs are a little lower and it's actually very well time zone aligned with an Eastern European dev team. 
Well, welcome, welcome to the club. We're glad to have you. You can keep everyone else out, though. <laughs> yeah, so please, anyone else listening to this, do not hire in Africa. <laughs> yes, yes. Go find another location. <laughs> Here, Indonesia is wonderful. Lots of yeah, great talent, yeah. totally different time zone. And then you'll never be able to hire African time zone unless you want to do round-the-world feature development. Exactly. Hey, there are all, a lot of great places to go visit. You can go meet with those teams while you're there, too, so. Get, get some surfing in Bali on the way. What could be what could be better? Exactly. Uh, so uh, th- that makes sense. So so you started off geographically distributed. What's interesting to me is that a lot of companies have obviously been forced into this remote first, and it, it's pretty clear when I see the conversations around hybrid that many companies are not going to go back to the way it was. It's very few companies are going to be like, okay, everyone needs to be back in the office five days a week. Uh, and given that we've now got this challenge where we kind of like limped through the pandemic, right? And it was fine, like, oh, you know, we, we, it's okay. We'll be back at the office next month or next quarter. And now people are starting to see, oh, it's possible I'm going to have teammates that I'm not going to see in person or not going to see in person very often. So really to come to the heart of it, how do you build a strong social set of social bonds? How do you build that kind of office experience when for the long term you have a team that's potentially always going to be remote first? Yeah, no, Peter, that's a really good question. Um, I think to answer that though, we have to start with the, with the reason, with the question why, like, why would you even Matt, why, why does that matter? Why would you want to build yeah. social ties? Um, Absolutely. I think instinctively we all have been in work environments where we know that, Hey, because I, I've, I've invested in learning about these people, understanding their lives. They understand my life. I'm more invested in the environment. I'm more invested to stay at the, at the business because again, I've, I put in the time to get to know the people. Uh, I don't want to lose those ties. I don't want to lose those, those bonds that I've built because it takes time. And, and that's really a huge uh, value add for the work environment. Uh, when you go remote though, you lose a lot of that. You lose a lot of the ability to build those personal ties and really get to know your coworkers. And so there's a lot less investment. And um, with the whole great resignation that we're seeing right now, I think that's a huge component of it. People feel less invested uh, to the, Coworker next to them because they don't really see them very often and they don't get to interact as much. And so they're willing to just kind of uproot themselves because, Hey, I haven't put that, I haven't set any roots down. I haven't really like made the the space to really be um, invested in this company. And so I can go find another one. It's just like trading cards. Um, And so that's to me, there is a huge uh, business case to investing in social, which is really just retention. Uh, You want to make sure that you don't have to uh, churn, you, you don't churn a lot of employees and that you don't have to go through that whole hiring process all over again, because especially with engineering, it's a pretty arduous uh, and difficult hiring process. And so having to do that every time uh, would be really annoying. So for me, the big the big value in social is retention and making sure that you can retain good talent and people who that you want to keep for sure. Um, so with that in mind, um, some of the things that we've done, as I mentioned, uh, we were remote even before the pandemic. So we've got a lot of learnings from this experience. Um, some of the things that we did, um, some of them are, I would say, uh, native to our experiences, and some of them are, I think, uh, anyone can really take. Um, one of them that I'm thinking of uh, specifically was early on in the pan, early on in our experience of, of uh, remote first. Uh, again, we're working with engineers out of Nigeria, uh, West Africa, and the bandwidth there is really actually pretty low. Um, mm-hmm. So we faced challenges where um, engineers couldn't really turn on video because, again, not a lot of bandwidth. Um, if, uh, you don't know, as some of your audience doesn't know, there's actually blackouts. Uh, there's blackout times in Nigeria. So often in a day, they will lose power and uh, 
maybe have to rely on a generator to kind of be able to work again. So there's often uh, literally grid blackouts where the whole city is really without power. And it's, it's, it's crazy until you actually go there and experience it, which me and my co-founder went to Nigeria and spent uh, about two weeks with our engineers there and we experienced it firsthand. Uh, that's really hard. So we take for granted all the, the luxuries of, of connectivity and availability of electricity out here. And, and that's not the same there. Um, so given that, with that in mind, um, it was early on just out of necessity, um, a, a unspoken rule that, hey, if you're having bandwidth, you don't need to turn your, your video. And um, so we went with that for a while, but we learned quite um, quickly that that also erades or uh, reduces some of that personal personability in that experience. Uh, if you're not seeing people's yeah. faces, you're not getting to engage with them here and, and see the, the tone of voice that they're, see the tone of voice and the facial expressions they're making as uh, you're giving feedback or getting feedback. That can be really hard because you really don't know. And it, again, it erodes against, against that social component. So one of the things we instituted, given that we had this constraint of connectivity is an issue, uh, we can't require that everyone have video all the time on one of the things we did was just um, on a random cadence really whenever I decide when our dev team meets uh, for stand-up uh, we'll just turn on our video I'll just say hey guys let's turn on video for this call let's let's all get to see each other's faces and um, that has really been a just from feedback from the team members that's really been a fun thing um, I think the, the thing that makes it fun is that there's no set schedule it's not like every third stand-up will be doing video it's just whenever I feel like, hey, let's 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 get to talk to each other. Um, I'll ask that we turn on video and we get to see what um, everyone else is doing and uh, get to really engage with them even more so. Um, so that uh, that kind of dopamine hit has really worked really well for us in the sense that uh, adding that that uh, surprise and excitement to the process of being able to turn on video, uh, experience your team members in a new way, in a new way that you're not uh, you're not uh, accustomed to. And that really has been a, a simple yet uh, really effective way to build social ties as well in this remote first experience. I, I think that's really interesting. I'd like to, to dig into that because I think as engineering leaders, we usually want to make things regimented, right? It's like, we're going to do this every two weeks, every, this every quarter, this every three months, uh, every quarter, every three months. But we're going to have this kind of <laughs> consistent uh, process. And I think it's yep. really nice to call out the fact that actually as humans, we are more likely to be attracted to something where there is a degree of randomness, a degree of uncertainty. So as you said, we get that kind of dopamine hit like, whoa, it's video day today. Who knew? Exactly. No, you're right. I think having that little uh, spontaneity in the process and not having things always be so regimented has been a, a really nice factor. And again, this is a small tip that you can uh, take because again, Anyone can do this. It's so effective, surprisingly effective for how uh, simple it is to implement. So you, you got this hack where you had to deal with the fact that low bandwidth issues, so you couldn't have video all the time, but you, you found the randomness around turning videos on made that stronger connection and, and you got benefit from the, the spontaneity of the experience. Are there some other things that you've experimented with in terms of building those social ties within the engineering team? Oh, for sure. Um, the other one that comes to mind is around how to connect uh, team members to each other. Um, so again, our team is pretty geographically dispersed. We have uh, operations in, in the U.S. and engineering in, in Nigeria primarily. Um, and we wanted to really, as a company, wanted to build ties across the different organizations, not just engineering to engineering, but engineering to operations and executive, things like that. And so one of the things that we thought about doing early on was just um, uh, effectively lunch dates. Uh, you'd be able to, on a random schedule, 
just get together with someone new from the team that hopefully you haven't met with and get to have lunch with them. And we were really excited about this effort, uh, thinking that it was going to be the panacea. It's just going to solve everything because, you know, you're going to get together with people. You're going to talk about non-work related. That was another requirement. You can't talk about work while you're at this and people are going to just engage and it's all going to be great. Um, now that worked for a while, um, but slowly we saw attrition in that, in that process, less and less people uh, meeting. And so this was one of the situations where we had something that we thought was going to work and was working for a while. Um, but then it turned out not to be working long-term. Uh, I think just the fatigue of being on video uh, adds to that uh, process. And so uh, we saw some attrition in that process. Um, and so what we did, my co-founder and I got together and just chatted about, Hey, we're, we're seeing some, um, we're seeing less and less of people getting together for lunch. Like, how can we improve this process? How can we make this more? How can we make this better? Um, and an idea that came to mind was why not sponsor the lunches? Why not reimburse people for lunch? So we decided to start this initiative where if you met, you take a screenshot or a photo, because actually we have some people who are in the same country meet for lunch and uh, post it in our random channel on Slack, uh, just something that we do for any fun, engaging things. I post in the random channel, and that's how you prove that you got together for lunch and will the company reimburse you for your lunches. And so that itself has been a huge, uh, created a huge uptick in actual uh, people getting together for lunch and actually getting to know each other, uh, engaging in their coworkers beyond just the work environments and actually getting to know, uh, know each other in their personal lives. As I mentioned, again, that social component is huge to really invest because now, now you feel bought into the experience. Now you feel like you've invested. You've laid down some roots. It's really hard to, to leave. Um, and so that was something where we had something that we thought was working, then it wasn't working, and we found a way to kind of improve the uptick. Uh, a lot of it really is experimentation and just ideating around how to make something better when you face a roadblock. Uh, and that's a perfect example of what we did. And that makes sense. I was speaking with Chad Pytel, uh, founder over at ThoughtBot, and they were, they said, you know, very early during the pandemic, it was great. Everyone was like Zoom drinks, like once a week, every couple of weeks, it was perfect. But then they got to this point where everyone was just like another Zoom call. So yeah. like there, there was, there was really that kind of Zoom fatigue. And I, I think it does really speak to having to keep coming up with new things and keep innovating to, to keep people engaged in what is a, really weird social situation in terms of a lot of people being locked down for a very long time. Yeah, just to add to that, I think uh, the two things we mentioned, so uh, the first one was really about spontaneity. The second one was really uh, spoke, spoke for me to the aspect of how food and drink uh, surprisingly delights everybody. So you can marry those two. I think like spontaneous food and drink experiences, people really um, are excited about that. People really like those two things kind of married. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think you can't just... Uh, have a monotonous um, regiment. You've got to really kind of break it up and add that spontaneity. And then also, again, incentivize people to, to really want to partake. Now, to understand just some other logistics, do you do uh, synchronous daily stand-ups and do you have time for like socializing before and after? Is it optional and required? Like how do you fit the kind of just ad hoc socialization into the kind of standard meeting structure? Yeah, for sure. So we have a standard daily stand-up uh, at 9 a.m. PST, uh, which is around six or seven PST or uh, uh, West Africa time, depending on uh, daylight savings or, or whatnot. Mm, um, yeah. And in that, we don't have a set. Uh, uh, oh, the first five minutes is for talk, is for just socializing. But I actually have done this uh, more regularly. My team thinks it's because uh, I'm, I'm just running late to meetings. But no, I actually <laughs> show up late on purpose because I want people to engage. Because generally, when I show up, we kick off the meeting and it just goes into business stuff. 
So I'd rather prefer people engage in, with each other. So I usually sometimes will uh, be five, six minutes late so that they can actually engage and talk to each other. And then when I get on, I like to hear that there's chatter. I like to hear that people are actually talking uh, versus get on and hear it's just muted people because then I know, hey, there, there might be something that uh, I need to address and we need to re-engage each other. Uh, but that's something that I, I actively do. Again, uh, I haven't disclosed that to my team. They don't know that, obviously, because I want them to to be uh, in the dark with that. But that's something I actively do in terms of allowing time for them to engage with each other. Um, it's not built in, but again, that spontaneity of like, hey, you never know when Claus is going to be on time or he's going to be five <laughs> minutes late. Who knows what's going to happen? Got it. Now, um, have you? Are there any other things that you you've tried because you've been doing this for what four years now? So it's been going on for a while. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that we do, um, and this is more of around ensuring that our uh, engineers, because engineers, again, uh, it's such a weird, uh, interesting breed. Uh, they have to build the product for a customer that they're not necessarily the customer. Uh, and so for us, again, we have a marketplace that we're connecting vacation rental hosts to, to housekeepers. And we really wanted our team um, abroad, but also locally, really, to um, how do I put this get in the mind of a housekeeper. We wanted them to really understand the pain points, understand the challenges the housekeepers are facing because as they're building the product, they can have more insights into, hey, maybe this we can do it this way because it's, it's better related or it, it, it better addresses this problem that, this, that housekeepers have. And so one of the things we did that we instituted recently was um, uh, actually a Netflix watch party. Uh, there's a new show on Netflix called The Maid, which uh, details the challenges of a, of a modern housekeeper in, in the U.S. and we thought that was a really good way. I've seen it myself. My co-founders watched it. Uh, we thought that was a really good, and it's actually based off of, of a, uh, uh, I don't know if it's an autobiography, but it's based off a book of a real life housekeeper. And she wrote this uh, uh, experience. She wrote her experience, um, uh, a domestic housekeeper, her experience, and Netflix turned into, into a, a, a series. And so we actually started streaming uh, on a weekly basis uh, this, this show so that we can actually get our team to really understand the plight of the housekeeper and really build empathy because that's one of our uh, core values is empathy. Really build empathy for the housekeeper. Um, and again, with the mindset and, and rationale and thinking that with that in mind, they can be better stewardess of the product uh, because they know um, the customer even more. Um, so that's one thing we do. And it's also a good socializing hour. Uh, one of the things we also do to incentivize it is we'll, we'll do raffles for gift cards uh, and maybe just some uh, fun Q&A after the, the, the watch party. But these things really do add up and in terms of building that camaraderie, building that social fabric. Um, you're right. There are a lot of things that you have to in this remote first world uh, do that are new and you have to come up with new ways to engage people. Um, but if you think about it, it's not much different than what we do in real life. These are just adapted to a remote experience. Um, watch parties were a thing happened before. Food and drink were a thing that happened before. Um, these are all things that we just really incorporated in a remote first type of way. Um, but it really helped with the uh, socializing and really making sure people are engaged. And we're seeing that. We're definitely, when we do our reviews in terms of, especially when I do my one-on-ones with the team, I always like to ask, like, how are you feeling about work? Like, how do you feel about your work environment? And um, haven't gotten a, a uh, oh, I hate it. Never never had, have I gotten that yet. Um, so it means we're doing the right things. We're trying to engage people socially. And people do comment on the fact that um, we go out of our way to make sure that people engage socially and, and are really uh, um, not just checking that box, but really engaging. And so I got to ask, I mean, the, I guess the other proof for this is 
how have how has life been in terms of regrettable attrition? Have you lost many of your devs over the last four years that you wish you'd been able to keep? We've so we've never lost a dev. Um, we have we've lost two devs. We haven't lost a dev uh, because they wanted to leave. Um, we lost one dev uh, largely because um, Nigeria again is a is a country that is um, filled with political turmoil. So we had situations where mm-hmm. there was a dev who really just wanted to get out of the country. Um, and unfortunately, New could not uh, afford to, to move her. Um, and so we worked with her. She was adamant that she loved the job. And if it wasn't for wanting to leave the country, she would uh, be still working at New. Um, and that, funny enough, she, she's she been our best referrer in terms of getting new uh, engineers into the into the team. And so um, we had that one attrition. It wasn't a, a, a factor that we could control, quite frankly. Um, and we, we still are in contact with her and we want to bring her back at as, long, as soon as uh, New is able to afford uh, her, she's now in Germany, so there's a different uh, salary uh, there as well. Um, but yeah, we haven't. It's it's been great focusing on that social component. As I mentioned early, uh, it, it really affects the retention component. When people feel, um, I think we talked about psychological safety earlier. When people mm-hmm. feel secure and, and really um, uh, enjoy that they enjoy the work, but not only that, but that they're invested in the people that they work with and know about them and know of them and they know of. Uh, them as well, that adds a lot of uh, um, value to that work environment and people want to stay. Again, it's like setting down roots. Uh, you don't want to pick up and lead people. Generally, humans hate change. And so if they can avoid it, they will. But if there's no, if there's no, nothing keeping them down, they're, they're more willing to make that change. And so we found that that social component is really added to retention amongst the other things that we do, obviously. Right. So you, you, that's great. And you, you talked about experimentation, right? A lot of this is trying different things. Have you yeah. over the last four years tried anything that didn't particularly work out well? Yeah. Again, mentioned the whole, um, we haven't had anything that was a, a, a all in all loss. Uh, quite frankly, I mentioned again, we did the, uh, lunch dates where we started off well and then it died down significantly and we found a way to kind of, uh, re- reinvigorate the interest there. Um, that has been one that, again, was experimented and, and we kind of found a way to, to revive that. Um, but ultimately, we're not doing anything um, crazy. We're really just re-taking existing um, experiences that we know we enjoy and bringing them to remote environments that we can, in, that we can all um, experience. Um, so we haven't tried anything. There's nothing that comes to mind that was a, a complete loss. Again, everything that we've done we've been able to uh, iterate and, and really add on and, and make it work as a result. But it did come with some experimentations from trial and error. Um, and that's something that just comes with the job, quite frankly. Claudius, thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom and experiences today. Thanks, Peter. It was great. I hope uh, the audience learned something and hopefully some people can take away some good, good advice from this. Absolutely. Thank you.